This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash Aegis, save 20% on all their products. Today's show is also brought to you by Element, L-M-N-T, my favorite electrolyte mix. It's what I put in my water in the morning, and it's what I put in my water at the gym. Go to drink element.com slash ageist. Check out the specials that we've arranged for the listeners of this podcast. Welcome to episode 97 of the Super Age podcast. This will be dropping on August the 17th, 2022. I hope everyone is having a fantastic summer. The weather here in Utah is just magnificent. And one of the things I really love about this time of year is we've got these like big berry bush they're like trees they're like berry tree things that um grow next to where we live and this time of year these berries turn from bright red to sort of dark purple they're when they're ripened which cause the birds to go bananas they just um they eat so many berries they can barely fly <laughs> and so it's like wild kingdom out here i watch them right outside my window try and you know because once they get to the end of the branch they the branch won't hold them anymore so then they have to sort of levitate like sort of fly in place which unless you're hummingbird is i guess kind of difficult and like try and pick these berries off and sometimes they succeed and sometimes they fall on the ground and i don't know it's hugely entertaining to me the other thing that's going on here is <laughs> i have to go in for a colonoscopy tomorrow which um hey service announcement Everybody should do this. It's just like a thing you do. Like I think it's like every 10 years. So what they want you to do, though, is, you know, sort of um, change your diet up a little bit before you go in. And there's certain like nuts and seeds and stuff you're not supposed to eat three or four days beforehand. And then the day before, they're like, well, you can eat popsicles. I was like, what? You want me to eat popsicles? Like, do you have any idea what that would do to me if I ate popsicles? And so they, they were very nice. I got a very, you know, sort of helpful person there. And actually, so the secret is you can eat yogurt. You can eat bone broth. I can have scrambled eggs in the morning. Um, I can have protein powder in the water in the afternoon. And of course, they want you to drink all this like terrible laxative stuff. Um, but it was like this revelation that I didn't have to like starve myself or, you know, feed on popsicles for 24 hours, which would just like, you know, make me insane. But I will say I'm feeling a little bit lightheaded um, because, you know, my normal, my resting metabolism, like if I'm lying in bed, is about 1,700 calories a day. And if I move around or I do anything, it's closer to like, you know, 2,500, 2,700 calories a day. That's a lot of bone broth is all I got to say. So, um, yeah, feeling a little lightheaded and hungry today, but um, we're going to manage. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to your inner health. Just as a car has a dashboard so you can tell how fast you're going and how much gas you have, 
You need a dashboard for your inner health. You need to know what's going on inside your body if you're going to optimize it. You need some way to monitor what's going on inside your body. And then once you know what's going on inside your body, you need some way to help optimize that. This is what I get from Inside Tracker. With their 43 biomarkers that they're testing, along with the genetics that they test me for, I know what I should be eating to really optimize where I want to be. And I get to choose that target of where I want to be. Am I working on brain health? Am I working on longevity? Is there something with my fitness that I'm interested in optimizing? The app will make recommendations personalized to me based on my blood work and my genetics. And that's something that I just think is invaluable. Um, it's not a replacement for seeing my doctor. It's not a replacement for any of the other professionals in my life. It is an additive, but it is an additive that is with me every day, all day. And I can consult it and I can see what should I be doing right now. And then I can test again and see what changes have happened. If you go to insidetracker.com slash ageist, you'll save 20% on all their products. Today in the show, we're going to talk to Dr. Cliff Olson. We're going to talk about something that I, I think is a bit embarrassing for people, but we really need to talk about, and that's hearing. That the loss of hearing is something that, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. There's, um, you're exposed to noise, you could have had a virus that damages your, uh, the parts of your ear, it could be age-related. But the thing is, um, you need to have your hearing tested, and if you are not hearing optimally, you need to do something about it. And the, the, there's just so many reasons for this. One, you social isolation. Two, you're going to much higher chance of dementia, Alzheimer's, things like this. And it's one of your key senses. Like, well, don't you really want to be, you know, like these birds I have outside my window here. Don't you really want to be able to hear birds? I think that's really great. But for some reason, we're all embarrassed about having our hearing checked. And God forbid there's something wrong with our hearing, then we just, you know, ignore it. That's the wrong thing to do. So we're going to be talking with Dr. Cliff Olson here in just a moment. Today's show is also brought to you by Element, the electrolyte mix that I've been using to stay hydrated and to keep my electrolytes in balance. I started placing Element electrolyte mix into my water after my workouts on the recommendation of a friend of mine who's a 50-time Ironman competitor. I told him that I was having a lot of trouble recovering from my workouts, and I thought it was my age. And it turned out it was my electrolytes. And once I started putting Element into my water, I noticed an incredible difference in my ability to recover from my workouts. It went from, I mean, truthfully, an hour or two to like 10 minutes. Um, because the problem was my electrolytes were off. Now what I do is I put Element in my water when I get up first thing in the morning. I also have it in my water that I drink during the day. And then, of course, at the gym, I make sure that there's Element in my water. And, of course, in my beloved sauna, the same thing, Element in the water. So it turns out that some of that brain fog and just muscle ache and sluggishness that I was feeling was not age-related. It was actually electrolyte related. We talk a lot about hydration on this podcast, but the electrolyte mix within that water is really critical. Right now, Element is offering listeners of this podcast a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. It's a great way to try out all eight flavors and share Element with a salty friend. 
Get yours at drinkelement.com slash ages. This deal is only available through this link. You must go to drinklmnt.com slash ageist. We'll be leaving that link in the show notes too. After you check it out, let me know what you think about it. Did it make the change for you that it did for me? Just a quick note on the sponsors for this program. We're, of course, very grateful for their support, which makes this podcast possible. But these are also products and brands that we support, that we personally use, and more than that, that have made an impact in our lives. We hope that you check them out and that you find the same positive impact that we have. Hey, Cliff, how are you today? Hey, doing great, David. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about um, everything in your world. And we're going to tell people about your world in a second. Um, what exactly is your area of expertise? Yep. So I'm a doctor of audiology and basically a doctor of audiology is a healthcare professional who, who identifies, assesses, and treats uh, hearing and balance disorders. Oh, balance disorders too. Yeah. Balance is a part of it. Uh, when you think about your hearing system, when uh, we look at the hearing organ, which is called the cochlea, it's directly tied in with the vestibular organ, which are the semicircular canals. So when people talk about dizziness and all of that, honestly speaking, one of the first evaluations that they have done is they have a hearing test done because that can indicate some other things that a vestibular audiologist would want to focus on. Oh, fascinating. And tell me about the difference between a doctor of audiology and say uh, an ear, nose and throat person, or you told me the name uh, just before you came on of the ear doctor. And Autotologist? I mean, I'm so, up. just yeah, what is it? Otologist. Otologist. <laughs> otologist. That's it. Right. So an otologist is uh, think of them as a medical doctor. So let's let's rewind for a second here. Yep. An audiologist is more of a clinical doctorate that you get from a university. So you do not go to med school to become an audiologist, but you do have to complete your four years of undergraduate degree, then go in and get your four year graduate degree, uh, at which point you graduate and you earn your doctorate in audiology. There are technically PhDs in audiology, so more of the research side, but from an AUD, which is Doctor of Audiology, those individuals are clinically trained. Gotcha. So look, when we okay. look at it from that standpoint, that, that is someone who specializes, the audiologist specifically is the one who specializes in the treatment of a hearing loss. And there's different types of hearing loss I'm sure we'll touch base on throughout this talk. But then you also had the vestibular side of that, which is kind of like a subset of audiology, kind of like treatment of hearing loss is a subset of audiology. But if you start comparing that to the medical side, so you have an otolaryngologist, which most people think of as an ear, nose, and throat position. And so those individuals, they are specializing in treating medical conditions associated with the ear, nose, and throat. So if you have like an ear infection or something along those lines, uh, you would likely go and see an ear, nose, and throat physician. If you are working your way up through the food chain, so to speak, you end up getting more and more specialized the further you go up in the medical world. So you would have an otologist and they don't care about the nose and the throat. They care about the ears specifically from a medical standpoint. And then you kind of go up, you can even go up a little bit further than that to a neurootologist. And those are the ones who are typically focusing in on cochlear implants and other brainstem implants and things like that. So help me, help me through the workflow here. So, tell, uh, so say I'm, I feel I may have hearing loss. 
and I go, I guess I go to my primary care first. I... Yeah, you have a couple of different entry points for that. So anytime someone is having some concern with their hearing in general, I think most people internally are like, anytime they have any medical concern, they'll go to their primary care first. Mm. And then their primary care will determine, okay, well, something ear related. I'm looking in your ears. I don't see any you know, infections or anything like that, you know what, you need to go see an audiologist. And they could technically uh, tell you to go see a ENT, but that ENT is going to have you see their audiologist first, because it's very hard to identify any ear condition without an actual hearing test. And the professional who would actually administer the hearing test is the audiologist. And from a, if you have just perceived hearing loss, you can even, to some degree, cut out the, the primary care physician or you know not have to go see them and go directly to an audiologist who's going to evaluate your ears and do a hearing test on you. And if they identify anything that would warrant a medical referral, they're just going to end up referring you to the ear, nose, and throat physician anyway. So let's talk about this perceived hearing loss. Um... I, I know I, I get my eyes checked every year. Um, I get a lot of, you know, I get my whole, I get a, lots of tests on myself. Um, how does one, is this like an online thing? You go to an audiologist. What's the recommended way to do this? I mean, you can go online and do a, a hearing screener. None mm -hmm. of the online hearing tests that I've evaluated, and I've evaluated a lot of them, none of them would be considered diagnostic. Uh, there are different things that need to happen during a hearing test. There's something called air conduction testing, and there's something called bone conduction testing. So think of it like this. Um, if you have sound traveling through the air, it will enter your ear canal. It will vibrate your eardrum, send that vibration through your three middle ear bones, and then into the cochlea, which is your hearing organ. And once that vibration of sound is inside of your cochlea, it will create a cascade of events that will trigger a neural impulse up to your brain, and then you hear, all right? That's called air conduction pathway, has to travel through the ear canal and through that whole entire system. Bone conduction testing is when you actually vibrate the skull directly, and that vibration bypasses your ear canal, it bypasses the eardrum, it bypasses the three middle ear bones, and it goes directly into the cochlea, directly into that hearing organ, and creates that cascade of events. So imagine that you're wearing a set of headphones, testing yourself online. Well, you can test the air conduction pathway. And if that air conduction pathway tells you that you have a hearing loss, well, now you're not sure if that hearing loss is being caused by fluid in your ear, or if you have earwax impaction or something like that, until you can actually compare that result with the bone conduction result. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck with these online tests is that it shows that it you have a hearing loss, but it might actually be something that needs medical treatment instead of like a hearing aid or something like that. But you can't test bone conduction online. That hasn't been at least invented at this point yet. So what, what's going through my mind here is um, I used to go to drag races when I was younger. And of course, I would wear like the big ear things because drag races are quite loud it's beyond loud. loud yes it's like it's like standing in front of like the speaker stack at a ramones concert or something it's just like mental uh, loud. absolutely <laughs> but even with like the the serious hearing stuff my whole body would like vibrate from these things and is that these sort of like low frequency sounds that transfer through the bone 
Yeah. And it can be low, mid and high frequency, like ah. vibration. I mean, when you think about sound, all it is, is the movement through a medium, right? right. The of particles through a medium. So when you look at it, when we say air conduction, like I'm talking to you right now, it's coming through your headset and it's vibrating the air in between your headset and your ear. And you're hearing that uh, whales live in the ocean right? When they create these really high frequency pitches that they're communicating with each other, it travels through the medium of water and it travels really, really far, right? So it's just a matter of the medium in which it travels. So when you have a dirt bike racing by you, some of that sound, you'll get air conduction and some of that sound will be bone conducted. Oh, fascinating. So um, how often, like, give me the, the sort of idea, like ear hygiene. So how often and how should one be testing their ears? Because, you know, I hear this all the time, hear this all the time of uh, people <laughs> sort Unintended. of, yeah. <laughs> sorry, this is a really bad one um, that, you know, people gradually lose hearing and they sort of adapt in a way and they don't really know. So how, what, tell me, talk me through, what should people be doing? Yeah, well, I mean, when you think about it, hearing loss really is a silent epidemic because once you start losing your hearing, you don't really know what you're missing. Like, right, you, exactly. And the funny thing about the human brain is that your brain will reorganize the way that it processes information if you're missing access to speech information. So your frontal cortex will start taking over and start filling in the missing gaps for you. And so most hearing losses, so if we're talking like an age-related hearing loss or we're talking a noise-related hearing loss or even a chemical exposure hearing loss due to chemotherapeutic drugs and things like that, you typically lose the high-frequency consonant components of speech. The high frequencies are where clarity comes from. The low frequencies are where volume comes from. So the vast majority of individuals, they start to lose their high frequency first. So their initial perception is like, well, I can hear people talking. I don't have a problem hearing people. I've got a problem with them not speaking clearly enough. <laughs> of course, so it's always their is, fault. It's, yeah, right? <laughs> right. it's exactly right. Like they feel like, oh, well, so-and-so just doesn't speak clearly. <laughs> and that's not the problem. They're speaking just like they always used to speak. But your brain is missing access to the high frequency speech components and your brain is trying to fill in the gaps. It's why individuals with a hearing loss, they will constantly ask for repetition or at least ask for it if they're comfortable asking for it or they just nod their head and pretend that they heard. Right. Um, but the brain will try to fill in those gaps and oftentimes it will fill in the gaps incorrectly. So that's when you get someone who responds to a comment and you're like, what, what the heck are you talking about? I asked you something completely different. It's because their brain was thinking that they were filling it in right based on context and visual cues and all that, but really they were completely misunderstanding. So how often and how would someone get a regular hearing? Because what you're explaining to me is that one needs to test this because we have tricky brains that are going to fool ourselves that everything's okay and it's not. Right. And, you know, school systems are doing a really fantastic job for young kids and they're getting their hearing screening. And if they don't get their, you know, they don't pass their screening, they'll go on and they'll recommend that they get an actual diagnostic hearing test. And you can even go earlier than that. Uh, pretty much every infant, at least in the United States, is getting an infant screening. Right. So right when they're born, they go in, they get screened. Uh, there are ways of testing hearing that require no voluntary participation. It's um it's uh, uh, called distortion product autoacoustic emissions. 
And that's where they actually put a sound into your ear and your ear will create a essentially a reflex to that sound and it can be measured by the tester. So they can identify if the cochlea, the hearing organ is actually functioning in a kid or in an infant rather. So when you, you start looking at it from once you start getting older, if you're someone who is 65 years old and you have not had a actual legitimate baseline hearing test by an audiologist, you need to, you know, as soon as your podcast is over, go pick up the, the phone, go online, find an audiologist in your area and schedule a baseline, like whether you think you have a hearing loss or not. And there's reasons for this. So if you at least get the baseline, no matter what happens, you could have totally normal hearing at that point in your life. And then most likely the recommendation will be to go back every five years after that. And they will at least have a foundational standpoint where they can track the rate of progression. And so even if you don't think you're having a hearing loss, getting that on the record is an extremely important thing for everybody. Um, fascinating. So you've um, mentioned a few things here, um, age-related hearing loss. So let's, let's talk about that first. What is that? Yeah, age-related hearing loss is simply as we get older, the hair cells that are inside of our hearing organ, they start to deteriorate and go away. It typically affects the high-frequency hair cells more, and those hair cells do not regenerate. So once they're gone, at least at this point with science, they're gone. And that gives all the perceptions that I talked about before, which is the lack of clarity in speech, uh, the inability to comprehend speech in a background noise situation, even if the background noise isn't crazy. And it's a really, and, and that's why you see so many older individuals who struggle with hearing is because it's, it's a typical natural progression for individuals who are getting older. And, you know, it is starting a little bit earlier. We're starting to see it a little bit earlier, but generally speaking, you know, if you're age 80 and you have an 80% chance that you have age-related hearing loss. Let's talk about um, maybe some of the other kinds of hearing loss. So um, there's a uh, noise-related hearing loss. What's that? Yep. So noise-induced noise hearing loss is what we typically call it in, in the industry, but noise-induced hearing loss is when you suffer an exposure to loud noise, and that can be either instantaneous. So think of like a gunshot. That creates a really loud sound, but it's very short duration. That can cause instantaneous noise-induced hearing loss. You also have the really long duration type of noise, which isn't as loud as a gunshot, but if you're in it for a significant amount of time, that can cause permanent damage to your hearing as well. And when I was talking about like a high frequency hearing loss, an audiologist can actually identify if your hearing loss was likely caused by noise exposure, because we will see something in the audiogram, which is the hearing test called the noise notch. Uh, the human ear canal is a very interesting organ. It's uh, when sound goes into the ear canal, it will, it, your ear canal has a resonant frequency. So the sounds that come in at around 2,700 to 3,000 hertz, those sounds get amplified even more just by the shape and size of your ear canal and causes more damage to the hearing organ in that range. And those ranges are right inside of that speech clarity range. So one who's exposed to a lot of noise, the first thing they notice is like, I'm missing clarity too. And it's because the ear canal was you know, however you wanted to determine it, uh, wonderfully designed in a way to help humans understand other humans communicate with us. And, and that's unfortunately where the main damage area is if you have a lot of noise around you. It, is there such a thing as sudden onset hearing loss? 
Yeah, we call that sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And when I say sensory neural, I know it sounds like a complex word, but it's basically the sensory organ, the cochlea, or the nerve that travels from the cochlea up to the brain. So any type of damage that would occur to those two areas of your hearing, we call sensory neural. That is That accounts for 90 plus percent of cases of hearing loss. And from, from the, uh, I forget the question. What was the question again? Sudden onset. Sudden onset, yes. So when we talk about a sudden sensory neural hearing loss, there is an instantaneous drop of your hearing ability from your hearing organ or that nerve. And this usually is is something that is uh, generally unexplained. Um, A lot of people believe that it's due to uh, a viral attack inside of the cochlea. It can be a fast-growing tumor that is growing so fast that you can literally go to bed at at night, wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden you can't hear out of your ear. And both of those require immediate medical attention. So if you wake up in the morning and you just can't hear anything, you had better be calling a medical doctor, and and I'm talking an ear specialist. So either an otolaryngologist, which is an ear, ear, nose, and throat position, ENT, or an otologist. If you can't get into one of them immediately, You've got to get a hold of an audiologist, and an audiologist will likely be able to get you tested right away. And then sometimes audiologists have relationships with ENTs and otologists saying, hey, we have an emergency situation here. You need to take this patient right away to either do a steroid injection in the ear or do oral steroids in high doses to try to recover that damage. And do people recover from things like that? They do. Yeah, there there is um, spontaneous recovery where even if you don't do anything, sometimes you can get recovery there. But generally, the recommendation is is that these individuals would see an ENT or an otologist to get a prescription for high dose like prednisone steroids to try to limit the damage that's occurring there. And oftentimes, these individuals will also undergo an MRI to make sure it wasn't a fast growing tumor on their auditory nerve. and you mentioned that you're starting to see sort of newer symptoms coming up, newer sort of issues. What, what What's that about? Well, you know, children nowadays are starting to listen to, you know, different earbuds and things like that. And they're listening to it in an extremely loud level. I mean, it's, it's probably not a whole lot different than, you know, kids that were growing up in the 60s, right? Uh, loud noise and, and music. And uh, it's just the thing is, is that nowadays you have access to that 24-7 if you really wanted to. I mean, yeah, you sleep a few hours a night, but whatever. The, you, it's not like you're just going to concerts every weekend. It's literally you're running a concert in your head hours a day, depending on, you know, what type of kid you are. And so we're starting to see earlier and earlier and earlier individuals having this noise-induced hearing loss. And gosh, so I I mean, I've read a lot about the causal or, I mean, there's definitely a linkage between hearing loss and, you know, dementia, cognitive issues. And as you, as you mentioned, the, you know, the sort of the, the frontal lobe of the brain starts to take over here. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking through here, if we've got, you know, a generation of people living in earbuds and there's, you know, their, their hearing starts to go, what's happening to their brains? Yeah, well, we already have a major problem with dementia and cognitive decline as it currently stands. I mean, this is like a serious, like world health concern. Yeah. 
of all the individuals who currently have uh, hearing loss, you're talking like in the 400, 450 million people worldwide have a significant amount of hearing loss. And, you know, when we start looking at the brain, there are so many studies that are coming out right now about uh, hearing loss and how it negatively impacts the brain and the, and the, the not necessarily causal yet at this point, but correlational data that we have between the two. So you look at studies from like Dr. Anu Sharma and Dr. Hannah Glick from the University of Colorado at Boulder. They've been doing studies where they're actually looking to see what is structurally happening in the brain by presentation of sound and vision and all of that. And so what I was telling you earlier about the structural changes that happen in the brain, if you play someone some sound, not only are you seeing the auditory cortex light up if they have a hearing loss, but you start seeing like the visual cortex lighting up. You see other areas of the brain trying to help out the auditory cortex do its job. And on top of that, if you present visual information to someone with a hearing loss, guess what? The Since you're not using your full amount of auditory cortex, guess what the auditory cortex starts doing? It starts getting taken over by the visual areas of the brain. So, because if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. And so now the brain is functioning in a way that it wasn't intended to function. And it only takes as little as three months with a mild level hearing loss for your brain to start changing the way that it processes information. So that right there is a shocker. Now that's the structural changes happening in the brain, right? Because the brain is very plastic and it can change the way that it works. When you start looking at that, okay, so now we have other studies that are like 25-year-old, year-long longitudinal study where they had two groups. They had a group that had treated hearing loss and a group that had untreated hearing loss. They came back in for cognitive testing every two years over the course of 25 years. And what they determined is that the group of individuals who had treated hearing loss, their rate of cognition was steady with the normal rate of cognition decline. Uh, for the regular population without hearing loss. The group that had untreated hearing loss, they had a significant decline in cognition compared to the control, all right? So we have that. Now we start looking at, okay, well, what's the likelihood of you developing dementia if you have untreated hearing loss? So Dr. Frank Lynn from uh, Johns Hopkins University, they did a study where they identified that if you have a mild level hearing loss, you are two times more likely to develop dementia. If you have a moderate hearing loss, you are three times. And if you are a severe hearing loss, you are five times more likely to develop dementia. And then one more study I'll throw in there, not not that everyone wants to hear all these statistics and numbers, but this last one is impactful as well. Um, The Lancet Commission came out in 2017 and then refined it in 2020, I believe, or 2021, that identified that Hearing loss is the leading potentially modifiable risk factor for dementia later in life, and it accounts for 9% of your overall risk of developing dementia. The leading modifiable cause. And we say potentially modifiable risk factor. So, you know, it's going to take more time and more data to identify the individuals who are treating their hearing loss. Is that having a direct impact on reducing the rate of cognitive decline and reducing the risk of dementia? So we're still, we still have to give time to this for all of that data to accrue over the years. But, you know, there is no negative to treating hearing loss. I mean, what's the negative? Uh, you, you spend some money, right? That's, that's probably the negative and time. 
right? Because you have to go in and actually get treated, see an audiologist, whatever, right? So there's those are the negatives. The positives are almost every single person who treats their hearing loss and has it treated well gets a significant improvement in communication ability. And there's also the potential that you are stating off the additional risk that was created by you having an untreated hearing loss from a cognitive perspective. Well, that's powerful. <laughs> I say, I, I, you know, what you're, what you're telling me here is I, I'm, I'm hearing like more hearing loss, younger people, earlier onset symptoms, and then this um, leading modifiable risk factor in dementia. Um, get your get your ears checked. I mean, oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and when you identify that there is a measurable hearing loss, it, it, in my opinion, and I'm biased here because I'm an audiologist, right? And I've devoted my entire career to treating individuals with hearing loss to get them back their communication and to potentially stave off the negative impact of cognition, right? Of cognition decline. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have a hearing loss, and even if you're thinking like, oh, well, everyone thinks in the right now, like, well, right now I'm not noticing a huge difficulty, but what about five to 10 years from now when you're looking back and being like, man, I wish that the 10 year younger version of myself would have actually did something because now I'm in a position where I'm in trouble. Well, I, yeah, (laughs) what you just described to me was maybe my frontal cortex is, you know, making up the difference here, but, um, I'm I'm still, you know, there's still, as you said, there's a nine, I've increased my risk of dementia by 9%. That's right. got, I don't want to risk, I don't want to increase my risk of dementia by zero. Like I would just I know. do that at absolute minimum. I think, things, um, I think smoking was like a 1% increased risk. Like there's other ones that are in there that are just yeah. small percentages of right. risk. And then you look at hearing loss, you're like, holy cow, it's almost 10% of your total risk is dead yeah. one condition. Uh, so let's let's um, go to treatment. Um, mm-hmm. So we've we've discussed if somebody has a sudden onset, maybe um, virus steroids may take care of that. Um, and then uh, there's of course hearing aids. We're going to get to that in a second. Um, but then there's this other thing called an uh, a cochlear implant, which just sounds like cyborg. What is that? Yeah. So a cochlear implant. So if you get to the point where you're treating your hearing loss from a medical perspective. Let's say that you have a uh, condition called a cholesteatoma, which is a growth inside of the ear. They can be surgically removed, and then your hearing can, to some degree, be restored without any further treatment other than surgery. Okay, so you could go that route, and if that takes care of it, you're good. If you end up having a hearing loss, like an age-related hearing loss, well, the best and only treatment option for an age-related hearing loss starting out is hearing aids. So if you end up going through treatment with hearing aids and it's like, well, you're not actually doing well with hearing aids. And, and I have to be clear here, the hearing aids have to be fit and programmed properly because if they're not, then that's, it's not that you need a cochlear implant yet. It's that you need your hearing aids fit and programmed better. But if you end up having properly fit and programmed hearing aids and your performance is still very low from a measurable perspective, then the next option for you is going to the cochlear implant. So a cochlear implant will completely bypass that hearing organ, and it will stimulate your auditory nerve directly with neural with uh, electrical impulses that will create a neural impulse up to the brain. So no matter how much damage you have inside of your hearing organ, no matter how many issues you're having from a middle ear perspective or outer ear perspective, it bypasses all that and stimulates the nerve directly. 
Um, in order to understand that a little bit more, we might actually have to talk about hearing aids a little bit more. Uh, we're we're going to get to that right now. Um, uh, wait, I got one more thing I want to ask you. Tintinitis. What is that? So tinnitus or tinnitus, tomato, tomato, right? Everyone likes to debate how it's pronounced. But tinnitus is essentially ringing in the ears or another phantom sound that you're yeah. hearing, but it's not actually being externally created. And so a lot of individuals with hearing loss, I want to say it's something like 90% of individuals with hearing loss also have tinnitus. One of the leading theories as to why you're perceiving this ringing, buzzing, cicada sound, whatever it is, is that when your brain lacks auditory information or input from the ears, it creates its own phantom sound to replace it. So if you grew up from a little kid, you've been hearing sounds your whole life, and all of a sudden those sounds start going away, and you, uh, your brain's like, well, where the heck did it go? And it creates its own internally generated signal. And so people have actually, it's a lot of people get different levels of perceived annoyance from it, but some individuals who've been really, really bothered by their perception of their tinnitus, they've done surgeries where they literally sever the auditory nerve ah. from the ear to the brain, and they still have tinnitus when they come out of it. So we know that it's not an ear-generated thing. It's wow. something generated in the brain. And here's the crazy thing. Six out of 10 individuals who get treated with hearing aids, cochlear implants, things like that, their perception of the tinnitus goes away while they're using their treatment. Right, because they're hearing actual sound versus their brain making up a sound. Exactly. It shuts off the right. mechanism of internal creation. Okay, hearing aids. So um, not the sexiest thing out there in the world. Um, and there's sort of a, um, you know, I've noticed there's a range of these. So, you know, there's Costco, I guess, I don't know, it's like 300 bucks. And, you know, something that's, very expensive. Um, and then you sort of have this middle um, you, you sort of thing you get on uh, online like Ergo and, and devices like that. So let's um, let's go from the bottom up. Yeah. So I go to, um, I think there's something wrong with my hearing. I'm not, I haven't gone to an audiologist. I'm just like, well, okay, I'm going to go to Costco. What do I get? So I wouldn't even consider Costco to be the bottom of the rung on this. Oh, okay. Um, if, if we're going to progress our way through, let's go from like cheapest to let's say most expensive, relatively yeah. speaking, uh, the cheapest would be, I'm going to go online. I'm going to buy one of these, you know, amplifiers that I see advertised on Facebook. Okay. So and uh, when you buy one of these devices, you don't need a hearing test or anything like that. You can just order the product. They're usually a couple hundred bucks or, or, you know, I think I've seen them as low as like $69 for per ear. Right. And you get these devices and they might have a little volume control, but it increases or decreases all volume. The problem with those is not that they're cheap. Cheap is good, right? The problem is, is that most people do not have a completely flat hearing loss that they're trying to amplify the low, mid, and high frequencies altogether. They usually need a very specifically shaped frequency response to give them more sound in the high frequencies where they have more hearing loss in less or no amplification in the low frequencies where they might not have any hearing loss at all. So a very small group of individuals get those and actually perceive benefit from them. In fact, some people feel like it actually makes their hearing worse. There's, it's funny because there were studies that were done five or six years ago of some of these products and they rated the how much they should cost based on how much perceived benefit they gave the end user. And some of them 
the company who manufactured the product should actually pay the user to wear them because it actually made their hearing worse. <laughs> so I always found that study to be funny. So what I'm thinking here is if what's happening here is it's amplifying everything and I have specific loss, the areas, I'm just going to use your example, say it's just like high frequency. So then, but, but, but the mid frequency is being amplified significantly. Is that causing me actual damage to my middle frequency because I've got this thing amplifying everything? So the thing with loudness is that anytime that we turn up the volume significantly, it's going to cause more damage in the high frequency range because that's where our ear canals are funneling the sound, Mm -hmm. right? So not will it damage, it probably won't damage the mid frequency more. What it'll probably do is actually damage the high frequency even more than what it is without using that product. That's why a lot of audiologists are like, um, it's risky to actually go and buy hearing aids online or amplifiers online and use them because you could be actually making your hearing worse by doing so. Okay, let's move up the ladder. Um, So there's, um, I'm going to sort of lump, I have nothing for or against Costco. I'm just sort of lumping that all there. And so then we have sort of an, um, you know, the uh, things that you can buy online that are, you know, thousand to three thousand dollars yeah so uh, you know when you go up the ring you you hit costco costco does have good quality hearing aids the area that most people complain about if they have a problem with costco is that you're not receiving a whole lot of attention Mm. to detail in high quality care they're just they're a retailer right and you might have audiologists working there and i do think that costco means well when they dispense hearing aids out of their clinic. And I do think it's an important thing for certain individuals with hearing loss who have some affordability issues, but you have to understand that you're potentially giving up a lot of the service side and the attention to you as an individual side by going that route. But that being said, you you get pretty decent technology there. Hmm. And for about, you know, anywhere between $1,500 to $2,500, you can get hearing devices and at least have them initially set up pretty well. Okay. So, so that's not a a negative on them. It's just, everyone has Mm. their strengths and weaknesses, right? If you progress through that, you end up getting to online devices that are may or may not be hearing aids still, but they're at a higher price point because they have more service associated with them, but it's all virtual service. So like Mm. you call in and talk to a hearing care professional um, or, you know, some kind of audiology assistant or someone like that and ask them questions and say, hey, you know, can you take a look at my hearing test and see if your product would actually be okay for me or whatnot? Mm-hmm. Those companies are getting better. You had mentioned Ergo a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Ergo is one of those companies, right, where you get an invisible rechargeable in the canal uh, hearing device, and it's not necessarily customizable so much but they do have it more high frequency weighted. And it just depends on if you're a candidate for it based on your audiometric results. But you wouldn't really know if you're a candidate unless you went to an audiologist to get a hearing test to see if that product could potentially work for you. Okay, going up the food chain. Yep, so the next rung that you kind of have on the ladder is I would say insurance-based care. So you have this aspect and you can get insurance-based care at hospitals. You can get insurance-based care at ENT clinics. You can even get insurance-based care at private practice audiology clinics. 
And so what I mean by that is that every you know, certain people have certain, certain insurance plans, and then some individuals have managed care uh, inside of their insurance. And so basically, the insurance company will dictate to some degree the type of hearing aids that you can get and the amount of care that you can get from your hearing care professional. All right. So you can get pretty good devices through there. You might not have quite the selection of devices based on your wants and needs is what you would get if you went totally the private pay route, which I'll talk about here in a second. But, you know, you can get some, you know, discounts on hearing aids going through managed care and through insurance. And uh, typically you can get um, at least decent care but they they typically these managed cares and these insurances their their goal is to reduce the amount that they have to pay out right because that's how they make money is by paying out less money and so the thing that often is sacrificed with that is quality of care again okay um if i want best quality of care best what am i looking care. um yeah talk to me about that yeah, best quality of care is typically when you're willing to pay out of pocket for treatment. And, and I know that the hearing aid industry, as we'll call it, has a bad rap for you know hearing aids costing a lot of money. Well, the reason that hearing aids cost a lot of money, so to speak, is because the hearing care professional, they should be providing you with an immense amount of services. We call these best practices to make sure that whatever hearing aids you end up getting you receive the maximum amount of benefit from them. And so when I say best practices, there is a, a laundry list of different things that a hearing care professional should be doing in order to uh, doing diagnostic testing of your hearing, to selecting the proper devices based on your wants, needs, and values, to programming those devices, to fitting those devices, and then providing you with ongoing follow-up care as well. If you skip any one of those best practice procedures, it is going to have a negative impact on your overall hearing ability. So the biggest trick is to figure out, okay, well, which one of these practices, these private practices that I go to, how do I know if they're one that's going to charge me a good amount of money and actually provide me with these services? Because me as a consumer, I might not understand all the things that need to go into high quality care. Um, and I've actually created a group of hearing care professionals that I have vetted to be following best practices. And we call it the Hearing Up Network. And I spent a lot of time talking on my YouTube channel, my Dr. Cliff AUD YouTube channel, about these are the things that you need to make sure that your hearing care professional does in order to maximize your performance with hearing aids. Whether you come in and see me or not is irrelevant to me. I just want you to be able to, if you want to find someone good, you can find someone good. And my clinic was being bombarded by phone calls from all over the country, and I was never going to be the provider for them, but they're all asking me where to go. And I'm like, well, I don't know. You can ask them these 50 questions and see if, you, if they do all of these things. And if they do, then great. You found a great provider. Go in there, and you can confidently spend your money. But unfortunately, the estimates right now show that about between 10 and 30% of hearing care professionals globally actually follow best practices. So there is a, at least a seven in 10 chance that you go to someone who's going to charge you good money and they're not going to be doing the things that they should be doing. Uh, so we're going to put your YouTube channel link in the show notes. So everyone, everyone can do that because that, that's, this is exactly, I think the problem that people come up against, um, you know, how do I discern that I'm not getting ripped off that, that somebody really cares about me? What, what are these back? Best, I would have no idea. 
Totally. And, and that's the problem. So everyone asked me, well, Cliff, you know, how do you define quality? And I'm like, well, it's a very abstract thing. Or we have to find a way to make it tangible and understandable for the average individual with hearing loss. And the best way that I know how to make it tangible is to literally create a checklist that they can go down with their provider to say, okay, was this taken into account? Was this procedure done? And and by the time you get to the end of it and you have everything checked off, you're like, okay, literally everything that could possibly be done to maximize my performance has been done. And if I'm still not happy with my hearing treatment, then there's literally nothing else that you can do. The problem is, is that most clinics will do out of 50 items, they might do seven. And so (laughs) there's just this massive amount of people out there who are walking around with hearing aids and like, I hate my hearing aids. I just leave them in a drawer. And it's not because the hearing isn't a good hearing aid. It's because they had the wrong person actually fit them and program those hearing aids. I love how passionate you are about this. Why, why did you get into audiology of all things? So I got into audiology because when I was going through Marine Corps boot camp. The first week of Marine Corps boot camp, they put you back through different screenings, health screenings, and all of that. And they did another hearing test on me and found that I had a hearing loss in my right ear. Now, this was before firing any rifles or anything like that. Maybe I had a drill instructor yell at me, but that was the most noise that I had sustained in boot camp. Well, right off the bat, anytime that you have a hearing loss in one ear, they're thinking, okay, that could be a tumor or that could be something serious. They had me go get an MRI. Fortunately, I did not have a tumor growing on my auditory nerve, um, but they asked me if I wanted to stay in and continue to go through boot camp or, or go home. And I'm like, well, I would like to stay in. And I was able to serve my entire time. I actually became a Marine Corps scout sniper, had a, had a fantastic time in the military considering I had a couple deployments in there, but I came back with all my fingers and toes. Um, but at the, after I got out, it was always something that was on my mind in terms of I knew what an audiologist was because I had to spend a lot of time with the military audiologist when I was getting all that testing done. But I went through undergrad for exercise science. I, deser- I decided that being a, you know, a highly uh, educated personal trainer was not something that was, I was passionate about. And so I started looking at other career fields. This was around 2011. And that year in like the world health report or world news report, audiology was ranked number four for best professions uh, in the future. And so I'm like, oh, audiology, that's interesting. Um, I have a hearing loss myself. Uh, You get to work with people, you get to work with technology, and it's in the health field. And all things that I was like, this seems to identify really well with the things that I like. And so I decided to apply to Illinois state universities because I could use my Illinois veterans grants. And I ended up getting into a few different programs. I picked the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And once I got into the program, I'm the type of person that I am very strict when it comes to following fundamentals, and I'm very strict when it comes to precision. And I think that comes from my time being a Marine Corps scout sniper, right? If you don't follow the fundamentals, if you don't do it with precision, uh, people end up dying. It's usually not the right people, right? So it's your team members, it's you or whatnot. So I kind of took that passion from that and took it into audiology. And then as soon as I identified that there was something called best practices in audiology, and then when I found out that almost nobody does them, from that point on, I'm like, this is my mission. Like, I have to make sure that people know about this. And so from my first year as an audiologist, I started doing as much video content creation to educate people around the world so they could advocate for themselves. 
how do you overcome or help people to overcome this stigma of wearing the hearing aid? I think it's a huge difficulty. Yeah. And honestly, that stigma is starting to fade. Mm. Um, the younger generations and, and nothing against the older generations, right? But the older generations were very, you know, stoic and there's nothing wrong with me and all of that. And, and using a hearing aid or even wearing glasses was a sign of weakness. Um, and as a society, we've become much more understanding about everybody ends up going through this. There's nothing to be ashamed of, right? I mean, I have some vision loss going on. I already have a hearing loss in my right ear that they found when I was 19 years old. So, you know, it even being a sign of age anymore is not even true. So I think when I was in university, we actually did a survey on campus with other students and we were asking them all about this, the negative stigma surrounding hearing loss. And in the survey results, we identified that there was virtually no negative stigma uh, with college students at that time. And this was back in like 2012, 2013. That stigma is going to go away as the younger generations get up to the point where they need hearing treatment. And there's still going to be some people who choose to perceive an internal stigma about it. But the funny thing is, is that anybody other than yourself, guess what? They pretty much do not care. <laughs> so it's true about everything, right? <laughs> exactly. It's called the spotlight effect, right? You, you like wear a t-shirt that says something and you're like, oh, people are all noticing me. And then you find out that like, oh, what you're even <laughs> nobody, cares. nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Um, Cliff, is there anything you want to leave people with? I would just say in general that, you know, hearing loss is a major thing. It has significant negative ripple effects across everything about our lives. Communication ability, increased risk of cognitive decline, increased risk of falling, uh, greater levels of social isolation, greater levels of depression. There are so many negatives to having untreated hearing loss. And virtually all of those negatives go away with hearing treatment. But the first step really is just getting tested. Like get a baseline, you know, find out where you're at even if you're not ready at this point to actually do something about your hearing loss, get it established so you know at some point down the road, you, you have a baseline that you're working off of here. And if you are an individual who's like, yeah, I'm having trouble with my hearing. I really need to get this addressed. Do yourself a favor and go find a hearing care professional who follows best practices. Because the experience that you receive, the level of care and attention to detail that you get from one of those providers is a totally different ball game than just going in and getting a pair of hearing aids slapped in your ears and giving you the thumbs up saying good luck. Uh, I just want to tell everybody I have um, in my left ear, I have um, mild uh, high frequency loss, um, which I was, I, I, I went and I had an audi audiology test. Um, yep. Right ear is right okay. Left ear, a little dodgy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know, all signs point towards that's probably going to progress as time goes on. And it's good, honestly, that you have a baseline of that. And so you should be going back in every couple of years to monitor that and see if it's actually getting worse. And then if you notice like, yeah, my quality of life is actually being neg negatively impacted here, you need to consider the potential that you would want to treat that. Uh, I wouldn't even consider it. I would just do it. 
Uh, I mean, you just explained to me the risk factors of not doing it. Um, I don't want to be in that camp. So yeah, I would just take it. Well, absolutely. And you know, and to anyone out there who, if cost is the main concern of why they're not doing something, there are so many programs that are out there and clinics that are out there that will work with you. If you say, Mm. I just, I'm low income. I only have X amount of dollars that I can commit to this, or I'm on a fixed income. I can only commit this much a month. I guarantee you that they will find a way to get you in solid treatment and and get the problem taken care of inside of whatever budget that you have. That's beautiful. I didn't know that. That's great. Well, everyone just has this assumption like, oh, hearing aids are expensive. They're going to try to rip me off and and all of that. There's as much as I say about how few practices actually follow best practices there are clinics out there that they totally understand that financially it's tough for some people to afford treatment. You just have to find the clinics that are willing to work with you and they're happy to do it. Like almost everybody in this profession got into it because they actually want to help people, right? right. As easy as it may seem based on all of what online marketing will tell you about how audiologists are horrible and they just overcharge people and all of that. There's a lot of us out there who are actually trying to do good inside of this world, you just have to find the good ones. Yes, indeed. Dr. Cliff Olson, thank you so much for your time today. I think this is a really important thing. It's very sort of close to home with me. I've seen a lot of people with hearing loss who've just sort of swept it under the rug and then I see what happens to them and it's not good. Um, So thank you for the work that you do and, and thank you for being with us today. Well, David, thanks for what you do. Um, You serve the same community that I serve to a large degree. Um, And I always always tell people that uh, I would rather spend time with individuals who are older than me than younger than me because I can learn a lot more from the ones who are older than me. If they can hear you. (laughs) If they can hear, yeah, right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, though. All right, man. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the show today. You have the opportunity to leave us up to a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you listen on Apple or Stitcher or wherever you're at, please take that opportunity. Give us a five-star review and give us a comment if you can. If you would like to connect with me directly, david at superage.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Cliff, hit me up. I will transfer those to him. Uh, Next week, we got a good one. We've got Dr. Richard Davidson, good friends with the Dalai Lama, knows a lot about meditation, knows a lot about neuroscience, and um, a, a very special guy. We're really lucky to have him on the show. So that'll be next week. Make sure you catch that one. And hey, enjoy the summer. Check out those birds and the berries if they're around you. Have a wonderful rest of the week, and we'll see you next week with Dr. Richard Davidson. Take care now. Take care now.